The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Is this market driven by inflation or ingenuity? Price increases or performance? The Federal Reserve met today, and so far they're willing to ignore the inflation in the economy, allowing us to believe that stocks have been rallying thanks to earnings growth rather than an asset bubble. Although you might not know it from the action with the Dow only dipping 165 points. <laughs> S&P down 0.09%, but the Nasdaq losing 0.28%. Right now, Wall Street's divided into two camps. You got the skeptics who think the market's been roaring simply because of liquidity. Meaning there's so much money floating around that the market can't really go down. Then you've got the true believers who think stocks are roaring because there are so many attractive opportunities created by amazing management teams versus keeping your money in a stagnant pool of cash. Today they converge. Cash is still pawn. Stocks are king. Uh, let me think about that. In this session, maybe they're more like Bishop or even Knight, because the king would be giving us better returns after incredible earnings numbers that we keep seeing starting to annoy me. Most stocks simply aren't getting much pin action now for what they do, in part because, well, the market's had a miraculous run that makes everything seem like a, war, a, a yawner, and it's starting to bother me. So AMD can report a breathtaking number, and it puts people to sleep. It's like uh, Xanax or Clonopin, Lunesta. Uh, the banks knocked it out of the How do I know all those? The banks knocked it out of the park, and their stocks have done nothing. The consumer product names, they can't get any momentum at all. Unless your company's a huge beneficiary from the great reopening, nobody cares. Even then, you got to deliver a massive upside surprise, not just a regular upside surprise to get this market's attention. Who can do that? Only the companies that can put through gigantic price increases, and we don't really care for those, without having to spend more money. Well, what does that mean? The inflation winners, the companies that make steel. Okay, well, you buy Nucor here. Buy the Cleveland Cliffs, okay? Or copper, yes. All right, buy the Freeport. I don't mind. Yeah, you can even buy Alcoa, all right? 
But if you have to eat the cost of inflation, money managers have no interest in bidding up your stock, no matter how good your company is. That can't last. We just heard today, Apple, Facebook, Ford, Apple shot the lights out. Delivering a smash all a quarter, I made that word up, with much better than expected numbers across every major line item. Even though this market's tough to impress, the stock kind of, you know, shimmied up, as I told you it would do. Apple's chronically underestimated. Own it, don't trade it, even if someone tries to tell you its best days are over, and most people will tomorrow, because that's the wrap, the same wrap for the last 100 points. Facebook roared, too, after putting up some magnificent numbers, thanks to the resurgent advertising business. The same story that's fueling Alphabet's explosive move. I told you last night, bizarre. It's often ill-advised behavior, which is code work for bad behavior, would be rewarded in a higher stock price. As for Ford, it reported a monster earnings beat, but it also slashed its forecast because of that gosh darn chip shortage. It's hurting their ability to boost production. And it's only got worse than this big fire at a Japanese semiconductor plant last month. As much as I love the profitability, the guidance was discouraged. No, the guidance was hideous and horrible and discouraging. So how do we make heads or tails of this quarter? Before you give up on the stock in Florida, wait, do you mind if we actually think, let's say, like maybe like 95 days out? Let's go straight to the source with Jim Farley, the president and CEO of Ford Motor. Mr. Farley, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, I'm looking at a set of figures that indicates that this is a new Ford, a Ford that's committed to profitability <laughs> everywhere it sells cars and trucks. And at the same time, it's still able to grow in a way that I didn't think Ford could do. Yeah, we're we're on the right path. Uh, so I'm excited about the direction. So give me a sense of uh, what's happened when you focus on a customer, particularly when you focus on a customer who wants small to mid-sized business, wants a Ford truck. Boy, you know, that is our wheelbase actually around the world. They love a Ford and we do it really naturally. Um, you know, it's a complicated business. You got upfitters. Uh, for the vehicles, uh, you have to have uh, the right kind of choice for them. Uh, you know, we have six or seven different choices for our new electric van, for example. Some people just have one. That's not going to do it for for the diversity of the market. So uh, it's also durable. Um, you know, so you have to have the experience of long-term reliability, and you have to have a whole different choices. It's very rare, Jim, you find a commercial customer who owns 10 or 15 vehicles where they want just one vehicle. They want three or four different types of vehicles. And you've got them. Okay, so now let's take a look at these numbers. Uh, Obviously, this quarter is about as big as I've ever seen before when it comes to being profitable. But you then guide down substantially next quarter for something that's hurting a lot of companies. Chip shortage, obviously, some commodity issues. How do we... uh, rationalize what Ford can really earn, given the fact that you've got this tremendous overhang of chip shortage that is really slicing into your EBITDA. It is, absolutely. So in February, when we guided, uh, you know, we said there'd be somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of our production would be impacted in the first quarter. It actually, Jim, wound up being about 17 percent. We lost 200,000 units. Now, in the first quarter, we offset all of those production cuts in terms of incremental pricing and cost control. And we did not mortgage the future to do that. We actually accelerated spending on EV. Um, But going forward, second quarter is going to be the trough for us. You know, this this Renesis fire on on March 19th in Japan is a big deal. Uh, It's about 30% of the global chips for auto. We got caught up in it. We definitely have dual source coming out of there, but we have some single source commodities. 
and so we think uh, this quarter is going to be our most difficult. We actually think the chip shortage will extend in the second half. Um, we may lose about the same as what we did in the first quarter, but then as we come into the last part of the year, you know, we're, we're really moving. The good thing is our business is so much more you know, robust to absorb these kind of body blows. We're also seeing commodity costs increase, but we're able to offset them with the actions that we're making. All right, let's talk cars. You're a car guy. Let's talk cars. Uh, Mustang Mach-E. How's the Mach-E selling? Uh, four days on the lot. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> we're we're sell- I mean, we're totally sold out, Jim. Bronco, I, I don't know what to say. Bronco we're about to launch the GT. Okay, uh, sold out for almost two years. <laughs> F. Wow. Uh, F-Series, uh, that's a big hit. I mean, the one that, that I, I'm most proud of probably. Um, we got a new F-Series out, uh, more of everything. We got a hybrid version that's not for fuel economy but for power. A lot of people in Texas were powering their house with Pro Power on board. We now can, you know, power a house for four days with the hybrid. It's a great towing vehicle like a diesel truck. Uh, the F- F-150 is really hot. I think days on the lot is about 25 days. And the average price is now 53000 which is which is up a lot. I think 30% in the mix is platinum and above series. Jim, I, I listened to Elon Musk the other day, and he's talking about a car that's obviously going to, if you look at the numbers, it's going to crush you. I mean, you don't have anything. That Your EV is kind of like uh, greenwashing. Do you think your EV can ever cut into what Tesla's doing? And do you think you ever have a car that doesn't need to advertise? I think we got it now. I mean, the Mach-E, we haven't done any public advertising for Mach-E, really. We have a reservation system. I think the breakthrough, Jim, is not the electric drivetrain. It's the fact that we're looking at this as a digital product like your cell phone. And all those services, all those experiences that we can over there update to make your product better quality-wise, but also give you new services like remote pickup and delivery or for our commercial customers, prognostics of when something's going to go wrong before it goes wrong. I think that's why people want these EVs long-term is because they get a better experience and it's better for us too. But we do have to work off this trough of cost and the batteries and vertical integrations are going to be key. All right, so I'm used to looking at Ford numbers and saying, wow, North America, great. Oh, look at that, big loss in Europe. Ooh, South America. Oh, well, there goes the whole quarter. Uh, that's not happening anymore? No, no. We're, we're seeing a uh, billion-dollar turnaround in overseas operations, one billion. <laughs> so, um, you know, Europe is the, the star so far. China's close to break even. South America's improving. Um, we still have more, a little more work to do, but I, I think we've we made the tough decisions to restructure the business. You've been on us for a long time on this one, Jim. True. And uh, we're, we're, we're close to the end here. Um, we're making real good progress. In Europe, for example, we're, about, we're down about 11,000 people. Um, and that's that's the plan. So we're cutting out the cost. The revenue's coming in with the better product. We're now in markets where we do well. The Ranger is a juggernaut in Australia, South Africa, these kind of markets. That's why we're staying in. We're not leaving because we can make money with Ranger. All right. So you're, you're thinking confident trough. Everyone else tells me this, this thing could last to 2023. You got some sort of mysterious source of chips I don't know about? Well, we're looking everywhere, trust me. But, uh, uh, we, you know, we, we have some confidence uh, based on the input we've gotten from the foundries. It's a little opaque right now. Um, we do 
count on a rebound in our production in the second half. And boy, 22 is going to be an incredible year for us. Why? Because our average age of our showroom in the U.S., our biggest, most profitable market, down to three years now. We have by far the freshest lineup in the industry. So we're really hitting our stride now with this new product. And uh, you're right. I don't know what's going to happen. We are seeing some pressures on pricing and inflation, but we see those as kind of one-timers as we work through the supply shock. Probably the biggest I've seen in my career, frankly. Well, look, let's leave it there, but uh, we're going to count on 2022 being huge. We, if this is the trough, we got some big numbers, and you're running Ford very different, different Jim Farley. You're kind of running a little more like Ferrari, you don't mind my saying Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> Thank you, Jim Farley, CEO of Ford Motor. Don't go anywhere. My exclusive with Yum Brand, Stanley Black & Decker, and Salesforce all just ahead. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
There's a pattern in this earnings season. It's driving me crazy. Companies report spectacular numbers, then the market shrugs because the stocks have already roared. Okay, this morning, Stanley Black & Decker, you know the name, terrific toolmaker, posted a monster earnings speed, much higher than expected sales, including 31% organic growth for the whole shoot-and-mash product. Even better, they raised their full-year for earnings forecast, and what happened? Well, the stock actually went lower. Slisa went up for a few minutes. The darn thing now sells for 19 times the midpoint of its new earnings. That's called a steal. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Jim Laurie. He's the CEO of Stanley Black & Decker. to get a better read on the quarter. Mr. Laurie, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim. It's great to be here. All right, Jim, I, I got to tell you, something's wrong with the market, not with you, because I was looking, I was thinking, OK, maybe you get 45 percent organic growth and what I buy at the when I go to Home Depot. But I figured, oh, yeah, sure. COVID was uh, knocked sales down. So it's an easy comparison. But then I looked at 2019. It is still an amazing number versus a booming year in 2019. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> the whole market has changed. It's um it's a bonanza for tools right now, well, no you, doubt. Yeah, I mean, you talk about it. I mean, it's a great conference call that you did. I want everyone to read the conference call. Secular trends of consumers have changed. Tools remain on a roll. And I love this one. Blazing hot markets across the globe? Absolutely. So let's just go through it. North America up 41%. U.S. retail up 48%. Europe, 47%. Can you believe it? The U.K., Greater than 80% growth. France, Italy, Spain, others all greater than 30% growth. Emerging markets, 77% growth. It's just unreal. And this is a market, you know, a typical quarter for us in the, uh, in the pre-pandemic era might have been, you know, six, eight, good would be 10, 12% growth. And, and so this is just off the charts. Well, it is very clear, and you said several times uh, in the conference call, that this is not a one-time only. This is not a reopening, closing trade. Something has happened, a reconnection. It's almost Jeffersonian, frankly, with home and garden, secular trends of the way consumers think and act. What made people change so much? Well, it started with people in their homes, and they were just spending an enormous amount of time in their homes. So some were bored, some were looking to repurpose their home to, to create an office. Uh, some just wanted to get back into DIY and make things. And, and so, you know, you had that, it started with that. But then what happened was the pros had been out for, you know, a month or so in the beginning, but they started coming back because contractors renovations were really, really hot and got, got really hot in the U.S. And then it had kind of extended, you know, all around the world. And so you have DIY, you have renovations. Now we have commercial renovations where major companies like ours are repurposing their office facilities for hybrid work. You have all that going on. And at the same time, you've got the rise in outdoor electrification. So uh, lots of folks spending lots of time in the garden and electric is becoming more and more uh, in vogue because of the uh, economic benefits and also the uh, ecological benefits. So lots of different things going on. And now we have a rebound in industrial as well, both in automotive and in MRO. Well, Jim, let me posit something. I was on an amazing Google call last night and they talked about YouTube being amazing. And then we drilled down. Why is YouTube amazing? Because people like my family, we we don't know how to do electric. But you know what? We go on YouTube and we figure it out. We watch it happen. How much of DIY is the incredible growth of YouTube telling us how to b- do, build things? 
Yeah, it's got to be a big, big help. You know, I remember uh, reading about the history of Stanley and how in the 70s, you know, we were selling books to people on how to how to do that kind of those kinds of projects. Now it's just at their fingertips and it's pervasive. And I think that's got to be a force. Okay, steel, uh, resin, batteries, base metals. I think people were focused on the inflation. It's uh, you put some numbers on it. I don't think it destroys the story, but speak to how we cure some of these, because some of these things like battery steel, maybe there should be some sort of policy solution. Yeah, you know, I, I've been in the C-level job in this company for over 20 years now, and I've seen my uh, my share of inflationary times. Uh, and I said in January, because a question came up on the conference call, I said, don't worry about inflation, because if it comes, we'll handle it. And so we had a $70 million, $75 million estimate, you know, in the January timeframe. We bumped that up to $235 million. A lot of that has to do with steel and resins, as you point out, electronic components, and it's it's hard to tell whether it's a a transitory phenomenon or whether it's going to be something that's just embedded in the in the core. From our perspective, you know, we uh, are able to recover 30 to 50 percent of that in price, generally speaking, and we offset the rest in, in productivity. And that's this time won't be any different. So, you know, that that new inflation number is baked into the guidance. Right. I'm not sure what we can do from a policy perspective, but, uh, you know, we're dealing with it. All right. Now, uh, last thing I like always to tell people, you have to believe in management if they do a couple things. One is if they invest in the business and two, if they buy back shares, 20 million share repurchase, two Mexican plants and one Fort Worth plant. Pretty big commitment by you. Huge commitment. I mean, we're spending over one hundred million dollars on capacity ads. And, you know, frankly, they come at a great time because we're going to need that extra capacity as the year goes on, it looks like. And certainly we're adding uh hundreds of engineers to work on innovation and feet on the street to work on uh, customer uh, sales and, you know, on site, you know, with the uh, big retailers and so on. So it's a it's a great time because there's so much margin to work with. There's so much ability to reinvest. And that's exactly what we're doing. Well, congratulations on really. I mean, I thought about I thought I was reading it wrong. It was so spectacular. Jim Lurie, CEO of Stanley Black and Decker. It was really great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. So great. Thank you so much, Jim. Take care. This is an astonishingly cheap stock, even after it's run. And I agree with Jim. It's a secular growth trend, meaning it's not cyclical. It's going to go like this. People have rediscovered something great. Their home, their garden. Their money's back in for the break. Coming up, after serving up an appetizing quarter, the top brass of Young Brands goes one-on-one with Kramer to see how it's preparing for the great restaurant reopening. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
restaurants keep putting up excellent numbers, but then the red hot stocks, uh, they just do okay. I mean, take Yum Brands, which you know is KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. This morning, Yum delivered an astounding 20-cent earnings beat over an 87-cent basis. Higher than expected revenue, fabulous 9% same-store sales growth. Yet the stock barely budged, in part because management didn't give us a forecast as they're still holding back because the environment's so unpredictable, but also because the stock's run. Uh, still, you're getting some unbelievable numbers, I think, practically for free. So let's take a closer look with David Gibbs. He's the CEO of Yum Brands. To learn more about the quarter and company's prospects, Mr. Gibbs, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on. All right, David, I've seen various times uh, one Taco Bell might be doing well or KFC might be doing well. I've never seen them all do well. Why is that happening? You're exactly right. This was a quarter with widespread growth in our business. You saw all four of our brands globally positive on a one-year basis and importantly, positive on a two-year basis. We haven't seen that for a while, and I think it's a real sign of the strength of our business as we've adapted to the challenges of the pandemic, strengthened our off-premise and delivery business, and most importantly, embraced digital. Our digital business is on fire right now. We set a digital record in the quarter with over $5 billion of digital sales. Well, I want to talk about digital. You made a couple of acquisitions that I thought were very noteworthy, including one that caught the attention literally of Google in last night's call, which talked about how to be able to place money to get the biggest bang for the buck. You're getting a lot more for a lot less. We appreciate the shout out by Google. They're good partners of ours. And yes, we did an acquisition of a company called Quantum, which has great expertise in figuring out how to maximize your media spend. So in today's world with data and analytics and artificial intelligence, we bought a company that can leverage those skills to help us maximize our spend so that we can actually reduce the amount of money we spend on media, but grow sales faster by placing just the right kind of ads in platforms like Google. I also like this other acquisition you did, which to me lowers probably, I think, your av- the age of your average user, which therefore creates a more long-term life user. And it's pretty brilliant, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. That's TikTok you're talking about. Yeah. Um, they're a, a great platform for uh, social media ordering. So if you're on Facebook in a lot of countries where we operate, you can now order from us through TikTok's platform or uh, through a text exchange uh, method artificial intelligence, something that we already have in place in almost a thousand restaurants, and it's driving sales growth. You know, these acquisitions are no-brainers for us. Um, We take these incredible skills, and then we can scale them across our 50,000-plus restaurants. Nobody has the ability to scale things like this uh, like we do. All right, so talk to me about Pizza Hut. What changed here? Uh, Many people people have been in your shoes before. And people have also been on the other side uh, who deliver pizzas, and they've always said, oh, you don't have to worry about Pizza Hut. It ain't going anywhere. What changed? Look, the Pizza Hut brand was started as a dine-in brand, and it's been in transition to a delivery carryout brand, and it's been in transition to embracing technology as a way for digital ordering. We've made great progress on that over the last few years, and we've told people about it. But we're starting to see an acceleration in that progress. The last year provided a perfect environment for the investments that we've made in tech, that we've made in shoring up our operations to really drive the business. That's why you're seeing such impressive numbers. We've had a compression. You know, The progress that we've made in the last year, getting our digital business now up to 63% of our orders, for example, in the U.S., you know, that would have taken a lot longer um, than it has because of the consumer's embrace of digital. But also, you know, we used the last year as an opportunity to close some underperforming stores, which really strengthened the business as we can now position the stores in the right place with the right asset. 
in more of a delivery carryout format. Okay, more than 150,000 restaurants have gone uh, broke in the last year because of the pandemic. Uh, more importantly, in many ways, they can't afford the technology. Now, I know you and I don't want to see small businesses get hurt. That is not why we got in our positions. At the same time, though, a company as well capitalized as yours with good franchisees and with technology is very hard to beat. You came out of this pandemic stronger than you went in. There's no doubt. And I think you saw them in the numbers for Q1. And, and Jim, I'm with you. Uh, we don't want to see any small businesses harmed. In fact, our franchisees, you know, we have 2,000 franchisees at Yum. They are small business people. And we've been thankful that they've been part of our system and that we can support them through this time and that they're coming out stronger. Uh, and this, the benefits of scale of being part of a system like Yum when you're a small business person like our franchisees are really evident in these times. All right. Do I, well, I have to one day come out here and talk to you about Habit Burger. Absolutely. In fact, I think you and I need to make a little road trip and go visit one of the habits in uh, New Jersey because we've started to open up on the East Coast with great success. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's a small acquisition we did, just 300 units or a little bit less than 300 units when we bought it this time last year. But we don't buy anything unless we think it can be a big idea. We think this could be a 10,000 plus unit concept. The food is fantastic. It's got a great heritage. Started in Santa Barbara about 60 years ago. Similar to a lot of our other brands, you know, the great heritage, and now it's just our, our job to take, help scale it around the world. Since we've acquired it, it was the brand that was hurt the most by the pandemic. Right. You know, they did about 60% of their sales in dine-in, yet it's emerging stronger um, than you could ever imagine. You saw the 13% same-store sales growth this quarter. The leadership team is great. Our franchisees are excited from other brands in Yum of jumping into the habit. So everything's lining up for that to be a big positive for us down the road. But we know that journey's going to take some time. Oh, well, one last question, David. I know that there were people who just said, you know what, without guidance, I'm not going to buy it. They obviously don't have the confidence to be able to give us guidance. What do we say to the doubters? Well, number one, we have enormous confidence. And I think you're seeing that again in the performance this quarter. Uh, the digital business on fire. The development numbers are obviously confidence inspiring. We opened 435 net new units this quarter. Um, when the expectations were obviously much lower than that. And now we're, that's back to the pace that we had when we set a record in 2019. The challenge we have, which, which you know well, is we're not a U.S. business. We're a global business. Right. We're right. in actually more outside the U.S. than we are inside the U.S. If we were providing guidance on the U.S., we certainly could do that. But when you talk about the challenges that people are experiencing around the world right now, certain markets on lockdown, you know, it's been well documented what's going on in India. I was just talking to one of our leaders there the other day. You know, my heart goes out to a lot of our teams around the world and the challenges that they're facing. And we just can't predict so what, how some of those are going to play out. The one thing in the short term, what I can predict, predict in the long term is we're going to be able to weather the storm and the challenges. We're going to take care of our communities and our team members, and we will come out stronger, no doubt. But if we have trading restrictions in certain markets right. that emerge in the next quarter or two, it's just going to make it hard to provide guidance. But nobody should con confuse the lack of guidance for a lack of confidence. Very, very fair. And I think much more than what I saw a lot of analysts offer. I think that's a very clear-eyed, rigorous way to look at your business next year. David Gibbs, CEO of Yum Brands. Thank you for coming on the show, sir. Thanks a lot, Jim. Inexpensive stock. You're still looking for some? They're here. Yum is one of them. I like that stock. Man, money's back in the break. Coming up, when the country mobilized, they answered the call. In a changed world, Mark Benioff shares what Salesforce is doing to inspire America. Next. 
This weekend, the whole NBC News family is holding a huge event Inspiring America, where we highlight some of the extraordinary people and organizations that are making a positive impact in their communities. Look, I'm a big believer in the idea that business can be a powerful force for good, provided the people running it want to do good. And especially since the pandemic got rolling, few executives have done more to help us cope than Mark Benioff, the founder, chair, and CEO of Salesforce. We'll hear about the numbers after Salesforce reports in a month or so, but tonight we want to recognize all the great work Benioff and the company have done during this difficult period. Mark, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be with you. Thanks again for having me on Mad Money. All right, so Mark, uh, I gather this was your first pandemic. So what went through your mind when you knew that governments weren't going to be able to do enough and and were very confused, but you weren't? Well, Jim, this pandemic is not over. It's still going on. We can see today what's happening in India and so many places in the world where so many people are still suffering. And as you know, Jim, we started Salesforce because we so strongly believe that business is the greatest platform for change. And when you have an incredible company like Salesforce with 60,000 people and over $200 billion in market capitalization and all this amazing technology, it can be deployed for good. You know, we're great at giving a great shareholder return. You know, since I first went on your show, I think we've had a 5,000% return. Mm -hmm. But we've also had a great stakeholder return as well. We've done millions of hours of volunteerism. We've given away hundreds of millions of dollars to our local communities, including 120 million right here at our local San Francisco public schools. And we also run over 50,000 nonprofits and NGOs for free. So it's right up our alley when, you know, people need our help. They know who to call. They can call Salesforce. And now I first saw a plan of action when I went to work.com. You had thought it through. Who'd you bring in? Or was just the good people Salesforce got together and said, somebody's got to do this? Well, you're absolutely right, Jim. We started to get phone calls now more than a year ago from government leaders saying that we had to put our technology into action to help during the pandemic. And one of the key things we built was work.com. And that allowed organizations to start doing contact tracing, which we've learned has been a critical part to fight the pandemic, because you have to know where and how and who is spreading the pandemic so that you can basically close that down and vaccinate and then move on to your next cohort. And work.com has been a critical time of that. You, You probably remember, Jim, when we had Gina Raimondo on the show, yes. and she was talking about how she called us. I had never heard of Gita Raimondo, or I had worked with the state of Rhode Island. But, you know, of course, we're going to answer everyone's call, and we did, and we, within two weeks, had a contact tracing up and running for her. There's also things that a leader has to do to demonstrate leadership. A plane, a 747 full of PPE goes from China to here. That's you. A mask contest to try to get people to wear masks because it wasn't the way that the government was thinking. That's you. How do you choose what to do? How do you choose what to get involved? How do you put your name on something? Well, Jim, that really all started with Sam Hogg, the chancellor of University of California, saying that he needed help acquiring more PPE. I didn't know what PPE was. I didn't understand it was the masks and the gloves. We all know now what PPE is. And today, even today, we just are getting ready to fill a plane in China and send it to New Delhi with oxygen concentrators and pulse oximeters and critical items that they need right now as the pandemic surges in India. So this is not over. And you're right. In in the United States, we landed planes during the crisis in New York, in Chicago, in Detroit, 
and in San Francisco. And we're also landed a plane in London as well when that peaked. And that's something that we can do. We know how to be able to work with our partners and be able to provide those resources to people who need it. And this is a critical moment where every company has to do something. Look, no one can do everything, but everybody can do something. And when you're managing for all stakeholders, it means that those items, those relationships, for example, that you have, well, they can be put to good. We can do well and we can do good. We can do both. Now, what happens when uh, a government is, let's say, on a collision course with something you want to do where you're convinced that it's the right thing for the people, but the government may not be? How do you reconcile? Well, Jim, I think a great example is, you know, what we did with masks. You know, we knew that we had to acquire millions of masks. We knew we had to give millions millions of masks to people all over the world because it was one clear way that we could fight the pandemic. But in some governments at the time, there were mixed messages around mask wearing. Now we realize it's a critical way to say stay safe. And that's uh, still happening today. You know, we're we can wear masks less if we're vaccinated, but for many people in the world, or most people in the world, are not yet vaccinated, so masks are still critical. Are you uh, asking people from Salesforce to get vaccinated? Well, I think it's important for everyone to get vaccinated and to, to get safe. You can see what's happening in India. It's because the country has not yet fully embraced right. vaccination, and I, I certainly hope that they do. Here in the United States or in other countries like the United Kingdom or even Israel, you can see how vaccinations have made a dramatic difference in the organization. And we encourage our employees as well to get vaccinated. It's going to keep them safe and their families safe as well. All right. So let's say this is your second pandemic, which you and I both know is going to occur. What do we do? What does a nation do? What does a company do? Give us your blueprint for the one that is the second pandemic. Well, I really am a fan of what has happened in Singapore, Jim. I've now gone to Singapore twice, as you know, in the last nine months to study what they did. How did they succeed? Why is that one country that without vaccination has been so successful? And I'll tell you what they did. Number one is they really said, hey, no one can enter or exit the country right now. We need to really lock our borders and really get clear about what is happening inside this space. Two, they added contact tracing, which was critical. So every restaurant I went in and every store I went in and when I went into my office, I basically had to um, tell my phone where I was. And that was important because if for some reason I had gotten the virus while I was there, they would have notified everyone that I was around that that was something that was, that they would need to get tested for, that they would have to get, or they would have to get vaccinated for example. And the third thing is they did massive amounts of education. They really informed everyone exactly how to take care of themselves. And it was very impressive. And I really command, commend, I commend the uh, Singapore government for the tremendous work that they did. If, when I look around the world, I say, wow, this is a country that has stayed safe because of direct actions of their leadership. Good. We need to learn from others, uh, people who do it right. Uh, and you do it right. Mark Benioff, founder, chair, Jim, and CEO you. of Salesforce. You do it right, too. Great to Thanks see you. for all your help with Thanks. masks, Jim. Oh, you thank you, Mark. Thank well. you. And you're going to hear from many other incredible individuals on Inspiring America, the 2021 Inspiration List, airing Saturday, May 1st on NBC at 8 p.m. And right here on CNBC on Sunday, May 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern. We have money's back here for the break. It is time. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dang? The lightning round comes over. Start with Joel in New York. Joel. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joel. Um, uh, Joel in Riverdale, actually. Oh, nice. Love Riverdale. I'm interested in Occugen. It's the Indian vaccine stock, which is. Well, no, I know Occugen. I know Occugen is the cartilage company, um, but you know it, it is the one that's based outside of Philadelphia, where they I've always felt was a great spec. Um, but I know it's a heavily shorted meme name, and I don't know what's going on between the longs and the shorts there. How about John in New Jersey, John? Yeah, John Domenico here, Hampton, New Jersey, the blueberry capital of the world. Uh, stop by I- Metal Farms and get something. Thank you for your service, Jim. We love you at Hamilton. Want to give a hoot hoot to my temple buddy, Joe Klecko, who should be in the Hall of Fame. Like your take on INO, Anobia Pharmaceutical, who just got defunded by... Oh, the Sachs uh, Exchange. The Sachs Exchange. Another Philadelphia coming. Plymouth Meeting. That's where I am from. Now, we had Dr. Joseph Kim on, and he, I, I think that you know, he had some... Uh, they're, they're, they're a speculative stock that hasn't really delivered. How about that? Let's be really nice. Let's go to Robin in Florida. Robin. Hi, Jim. Greetings from sunny Fort Lauderdale. Nice. I like Fort Lauderdale. My wife was living uh, in Delray for a while. She liked that, too. Oh. Wanted me to give up my show and oh. go down there. I said no. Come on down. We'd love to have you. All right. We'll do the show there, maybe. How do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> All right. What's up? So, so my 93-year-old dad and I are both big fans of you and your shows. And we bought Slug in December. He got out, but I'm still in. I'm wondering with the class action lawsuit, et cetera. Uh, don't worry do about think? that, Robin. I mean, look, if you believe in hydrogen power, plug is the winner, okay? Many people don't believe in hydrogen power, and there was also some issues involving uh, accounting that I didn't like. And that made me sour on the stock, but I would welcome the company Andy back because that was painful. I did not like it when the uh, any accounting irregularity will sell. I need to go to Peter in Connecticut, please. Peter. Um, Coinbase, Global, Inc. Peter, I believe that people are going to use that as a proxy for owning uh, for owning crypto. I'm with Lisa Ellis, who's the best analyst on it, who says the stock could only go to 600. I stopped reading my, uh, my, my mentions column in Twitter because people hate me. And one of the reasons why they hate me is Coinbase. But there's so many other reasons they hate me that I'm really kind of like glad there's like a hit list there for me. Let's go to Jerry's in New Jersey. Jerry. Hello, Jim. This is Jerry from the wonderful Jersey Shore. Hey, we're south or north? Listen, Jim, uh, spring is here, summer's coming, and people are buying uh, school supplies. Yes, they are. I went invested in Leslie. What do you think? I see your Leslie, and I raise you with Pool Corp. I like Pool Corp as being a better situation. Down six today, it's 415. You buy 10, not 100, but I think you're fine. How about we go to Mario in Ohio? Mario. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, thank you. Uh, long time, long time, long time. What's up? <laughs> uh, I just I want to shout out my grandparents and my brother. We've been watching your show for years. Now. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. And I just want to make sure you know not to listen to all that noise on Twitter. Oh, that's okay. So I, I won't let them get me down because I'm from Philadelphia. And if I could just get the actual addresses and names rather than those phony ones, I think it would be a different story. What do you say, guys? Yeah. Yes. All right, Mario, let's go to work. So uh, my question is about Kellogg. So with the reopening upon us, uh, do you believe that Kellogg's will beat street estimations? 
I think you should not own Kellogg. I think that, frankly, it's had a nice little run, not a big one, and it's good to be able to skedaddle the food. It's it, Look, the Mondelez is a better play. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a walk down Wall Street requires homework and preparation. But today, Kramer's asking for a little bit of faith. Find out why next. Do not, I repeat, do not try to take your cue from the action right now. Every time we run through the gauntlet, the heart of the earnings season, we're we're overwhelmed with quarterly reports. The market gets really stupid. Just today, the stocks of Microsoft and AMD, among many others, including Stanley Black and Decker, yum, that you heard from earlier on this show, reacted absurdly to a pair of incredibly great quarters. House of pleasure. Bye, bye, bye. Nope. Microsoft's doing so well, it should have been up seven bucks. Not down seven bucks. They are firing on all cylinders, for heaven's sake. The cloud, Windows, Xbox, LinkedIn, you name it. The reaction to AMD's, well, frankly, it's even more ridiculous. They delivered 93% revenue growth, roughly 200% earnings growth, substantially raised their full-year forecast to levels much higher than anyone anticipated. They're taking market share from Intel across the board. I think the stock should have vaulted maybe as much as 15 bucks on the news to $100 a share instead of pulled back by more than a dollar. Some of that's because of arbitrage pressure. AMD's acquiring Xilinx in a stock-for-stock transaction. Won't close till the end of the year. So you have hedge funds shorting AMD. AMD and buying Xilinx. But, I mean, come on, the stock's a buy. Then there's Spotify, which plunged more than 12% on a solid set of numbers. You have people tripping over themselves to find something wrong with it so they can justify the throng of sellers. Oh, and let me throw in Starbucks, which, while not perfect, didn't deserve to be down 3.2%, not from what I heard when we interviewed CEO Kevin Johnson this morning on Squawk on the Street. Look, I have news for you, though. I don't blame the sellers. I don't blame them. I blame the gauntlet. In this 72-hour period, stocks become playthings for trigger-happy traders who shoot first and then ask questions later. Then people look at the initial action and then try to find some sort of explanation for it rather than doing their own darn homework. But that's a good thing. Let me tell you, that is going to end up being a good thing. Why? Because when the market makes mistakes like this, you have to treat it as a buying opportunity. Don't look at the crowd and say they're right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Microsoft. You're getting a rare pullback in the stock of a great American company. AMD's taking share and taking names under the leadership of the implacable Dr. Lisa Sue, another buy. As for Spotify, ah, it's a less compelling story. It had a little slowdown in monthly average users, but that's the only line I, item I quibble with. The stock absolutely didn't deserve to get hit this hard. Wait for the sellers to dissipate in that in Starbucks and just go, oh, by the way, playing out and buy the stock of Staley Black and Decker tomorrow morning. So how could so many investors be wrong? How could they be so wrong about stocks? What, what's going on? Well, it happens all the time. When Union Pacific reported last week, the numbers, they were, they looked incredibly disappointing. But then CEO Lance Fritz explained that there were a lot of one-time issues, especially the weather. Without them, the quarter would have been fantastic. All aboard. Uh-uh, didn't matter at all. Why? Because the stock ended up dropping six points immediately and then continued to fall, which convinced people, well, hey, Union Pacific must be in bad shape. But the sellers were dead wrong. And since then, the stock's come roaring back in an all-time high today. You had to use that week to do some buying. You had to run from You didn't run from the fire. You went into it because it wasn't a fire at all. In other words, this is a George Michael market. You got to have faith. 
I have faith in UMP's Lance Fritz. Why? Because of his bankable track record. But you got to at least know his record. I have faith in Daniel Eck from Spotify because time and again, he's proven the doubters wrong, including those people who own Arsenal. And when it comes to Lisa Sue at AMD, one of the greatest CEOs of our time, she's a miracle worker. Well, everyone who's bet against her has been shot to pieces. She turned an also-ran semiconductor company, maybe something worse, into a colossus that can go toe-to-toe with Intel and win. Doesn't take a huge leap of faith to believe in Lisa Sue. Same goes for Saudi and Nadell at Microsoft. He succeeded nonstop in creating value. Every time the stock pulls back, well, guess what? It's been a buy. So please do not trust or take your cue from the action, especially in the craziest part of the earnings season, the gauntlet. If you do your own homework, you know when the market's making a mistake and giving you these incredible opportunities. Don't trust the stock. Trust yourself. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.